Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Placing Faces, the show where we sit down with some of the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the entertainment spectrum. I'm your host, Charlie Chapel, and today we sit down with director first, casting director second, teacher third, and genuine delight fourth, Risa Brayman Garcia. Risa's career is an exciting one, from directing 200 Cigarettes, The Con Artist, and more, to her casting work with shows like The Affair, Masters of Sex, Roseanne, and movies like SLC Punk, Speed, Twister, Natural Born Killers, and a film very near and dear to my heart, Benny and June. We met up with Risa in North Hollywood at the BGB studio where she and her partner Steve Braun, along with their staff, work with actors to develop each person's unique voice. Risa is a wonderfully open, blunt, and honest person who loves what she does, and it comes from a very pragmatic point of view. She started her career out surrounded by incredible creatives, including Shel Silverstein, David Mamet, Wendy Wasserstein, Lanford Wilson, and the effects of that sort of New York theater sandbox training ground is clear in her approach to the industry now. The funniest thing to me being that she thought that that was just normal. She was a great deal of fun to talk to, enlightening to listen to, and I hope you enjoy her candor as much as I did. So, without me rambling on and on, let's jump right into it. I hope you learn as much as I did. First and foremost, she is a director. Something I like that she is a director. We're leaning into it these days in the industry saying she, so. How do you mean? Just women directing, women producing, women writing, women filmmaking, which is sure. something that has been a struggle for women for many, many decades. And now it's being uh, a light is being put on it. So it's a good it's a good thing to hear absolutely. you say that. I'm, I'm, Don't you think? I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I want to delve into that and, and women in the industry uh, because you, you your first film that you directed was 200 Cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, that was what 1999, I believe. Mm -hmm. You had a crazy cast in that movie. Yeah, they were all crazy. Yeah, <laughs> they, they definitely were. But they're also like the span of that cast right, right. is kind of insane to me of who you were able to attract to that piece because it's a really funny movie. It's a really heartfelt movie, and you've got, I mean, people from. Uh, well, well I'll, I'll just oh, identify please. that for you because what's interesting is, you know, what I love the most is I, I don't call it discovering people because I, people are not there to be discovered. I don't, I'm a part of their journey. I don't find them or make them famous, but it was really fun to watch careers evolve from there, whether it was Paul Rudd sure. or, you know, Gabby Hoffman, who evolved later. She had many peaks of involvement, but now she's, you know, what's happened to her and Kate Hudson and Dave Chappelle. So it was fun to see what happened with those people because at the time very few people knew who they were so yeah that to me is the coolest thing it's probably the coolest thing about casting overall that I do is to be able to be at the be there at the beginning of somebody's career directing Sam Rockwell in his in a play you know and then watching his career and then watching where it's come to now that's really moving to me to be a part of that journey for people well okay so you say you don't you don't like the the term discovering and, and I get that yeah. but I mean, you you 
were there very early for some of these people in sure, their careers. Sure, yeah. But I think we were there early together, you know. So ah. to me, it's a collaboration. It's about okay. finding the work together and, and discovering the work together. And then if there's talent and the stars align, then sure. people, you know, find their light and go on to become famous or, or have hardy careers or whatever. So for me, it's about being able to at least identify the talent, maybe put it that way, and, okay. and, and, and be a part of watching that talent emerge and, and supporting it and championing it. But, uh, I mean, nobody discovers anything, really. But you, you still have to have your ear to the ground. You still have sure. to be yeah. out there uh, searching for discovery with your... your uh, looking glass but you, and, and you know what it is it's just it's just to me a response to talent so okay when we were doing 200 cigarettes for example um we needed some through line to the story and one of our producers said t- told a funny story about how he had just gotten into a disco cab in new york and it was like just walking into a 70s disco and he described the character and we all thought that's really fun it'd be great to have that as people travel through downtown new york on new year's eve and so we went to the writer and she started conceiving it but we were trying to figure out so who was going to be this disco cabbie and somebody had sent me a tape of 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 dave chappelle for some other reason and i just saw him you know do his stand-up and i just thought yeah, that makes sense. He's super talented. And then the some of the financing entities in the in the project um, were big fans of his as well at MTV. And so it was a, just an easy thing to just go, let's do this. And knowing that he could improvise his way through it, because those scenes were mostly improvised. They were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Because yeah. he's very, very natural in those scenes. Yeah, and everybody else went with it. So there was okay. a, not a lot. Like, put he and him and Janine Garofalo in a taxi with an outline just and just drive go. around and let him go. So, and then try to edit that. But, um, <laughs> But that was that was the fun part is to be able to see that to go you know to be able to put things together a role a concept an idea and a, a, an actor be able to match those together sure you know or I did a general meeting with with Kate Hudson um, and just sat there and just looked at her and thought this you know I don't know what what the actual acting chops are but I know that there's DNA in there that's talented and also just the essence of who she is and the whole package was just so engaging and it just made total sense and and, and the role was in of Cindy was in my head and there she was and just you know so for me I guess that's my part of my talent or part of my work is to be able to put those things together and when it happens effortlessly it's wonderful it's often not the case um, but, but there are times when it does just fall into place yeah, where it feels yeah, uh, this is right yeah 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 well let's let's take a step back and let's go to the beginning um where where all great stories start where were you from and how did you how did you get into the industry in general um people do it different ways and i did not have connections or relationships and um, I was uh, born and raised in Montreal Quebec Canada my mother's an American so I was raised as a New Yorker out of New while York. still in in yeah okay but we spent a lot of time going to New York and for me the magic was going to see shows on Broadway and looking at that and thinking you know this is what I want to do and I've always wanted to I, w- I never really wanted to be an actor I always wanted to be a director from when I was a little kid hmm. so I would direct 
plays of you know Batman and Barbie in my garage <laughs> or in my basement um, with friends. And um, I directed the high school play, uh, the high school musical, South Pacific. And I did that because they decided that nobody uh, was going to do it because the, the the teacher who had been directing them had left, and so they were not going to do a musical, and I just thought that was awful, and I went to the principal and said I wanted to do it, and he said absolutely not, and so I f fought for it, and so I had my first experience of dealing with the hierarchy sure. of an institution that said no, and so I fought the system, you know. And you um, won. And I won. And uh, that set a precedence, huh? And so I thought, oh, well, I, this is how you do it. You just fight it and you win. And we had a lot of obstacles and we were almost n didn't open because we were students, you know, doing plays and um, it was it was tricky. But but I remember standing in the back of the house on opening night and watching the show happen and watching it be a success and watching people applaud and thinking, oh, this is this is what you do. This is how you make it. You know, you make your own, you make it happen. And from then until now, hundreds of years later, decades later, it's the same. I do the same thing. It's like you want something to happen. You conceive it. You make it so. And so that was my first lesson. And also I found my tribe because I didn't fit in with any of the other groups in high school, you know, and you find your theater tribe, sure. for those of us who know what that is, and or filmmaking tribe, and I, th I understood that I, there, I belonged somewhere, and I belonged with other people who were like me. Mm -hmm. And so from, th from then on, it was all the same, no matter whether I was doing it at college or in the New York theater, or um, as I started casting in film, or when I came to Los Angeles, it's always, we're here at, this, at the studio that I created um, for actors, it's this been the same process ever since. Well, and you're a big proponent. I've watched a couple of interviews with you in okay. preparation for this, of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. getting your shit done, yeah. working hard, and the idea that cream rises to the top. Yeah. Well studied. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that that's an important thing because it's it's really easy. I've been here. This is my tenth year in Los Angeles. Where are you from? I'm originally from Arkansas. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. A little farm in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Really? Yeah. Um, and. And coming out here, I was very similar to you in that I didn't, I, I knew no one. I didn't know anything about the industry. I had just been studying engineering for the past four years and was like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. I'm going to go make movies. So let's go to Los Angeles and figure it out from yeah, there. Yeah. And these past 10 years have been uh, <laughs> a deep study in how to screw up, yeah. how to fail, how to go the wrong direction for way too long, and how to recorrect in the course. And that's how we learn. Absolutely. Yes, by, by, you know, getting off the path in some way and then coming back to it or redefining the path. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to talk with you, though, about your early times in theater mm -hmm. in New York. Yeah. Because uh, that was kind of glossed over in a lot of the interviews that I saw. And that, to mm -hmm. me, is super fascinating because, well, first and foremost, when I just walked in here, I walked past a signed poster for Fool for Love, mm -hmm. which you were on the first production of. Well, I was, you know, as a young sort of smart ass in New York, and I just was there to, it wasn't that fancy, but I loved the play, and I loved the cast, and I uh, was a Sam Shepard junkie, and so I, through knowing Ed Harris and Will Patton, who both, and Kathy Baker, who were in the play, well, I mean, I think Will took over for Ed, but I... Um, I just was would go run lines with people and you know soak it up. I okay. mean, I, it's an interesting thing because I, I tell actors and 
young directors and my daughter, who's a young uh, filmmaker, um, this all the time, which is, you know, just get around people who know what they're doing, be around talent, you know, learn by watching and, and observing and being a part of just soaking up the universe and the experience sure. of people who know what they're doing, or at least who are talented and seem like they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And and that's how I learned in the theater in New York. You know, I was lucky enough to be mentored by Kurt Dempster, who had founded the Ensemble Studio Theater in New York. He's no longer alive, but he took me under his wing, and he was an incredibly difficult human being. But there was mentorship there, and it was... Difficult a, in what sense, though? He just was, you know, with a lot of ego and... Um, just a challenging person to work for. Uh, you know, it was a good lesson because I worked for a lot of I feel men like that like is that a good lesson to after that, get early yeah. on, right? Yeah, yeah. So to work with somebody who demands that you work at their level. Yeah, but he was a bully about it. Okay. So, you know, and that happens, again, that happens or happened a lot after that, which is, you know, I wonder now how I really endured it all because there were so many of those people and I probably gravitated toward those you know, bullying kind of guys Why in some way, you know, looking for a strong father kind of sure. thing, all that stuff. Yeah. Sure. But Kurt was that in a way, and he was a father figure. And, and but the great thing about working at a certain level that he demanded um, in the, his mentorship also brought me into a community of fellow travelers, of other artists, of writers and directors and actors who were at an incredible level. And I didn't know what I'd walked into. I didn't realize. And suddenly you're working among Lanford Wilson and David Mamet and Chris Durang and Wendy Wasserstein and, and, and Horton Foote and on and on. And Vincent Camby, luckily, who wrote a play that Billy Hopkins, who was my partner at the time, uh, casting and work partner, um, and I cast his play and so when he wrote his review of Desperately Seeking Susan, it was either him or Janet Maslin, but I think it was him, just wrote glowing things about us because we were like family. So sure. that was a we didn't do it for that reason. You know, we were we were working at the theater. And so I was among all of these people who were I didn't know that they were fancy or that they were and then people of my peers, you know, coming up with Richard Greenberg and and um John Shanley and uh, you know a number of people like that and, and 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 convincing Shel Silverstein to write his first play and because he was a friend of a friend and like I just didn't know you weren't that that wasn't normal that was normal sure. so suddenly I'm in this world of talented people and that's that was my university that was my training ground that is how I learned everything that I know now in terms of my values and my work ethic and my sense of you know of how to study and and create work it all happened in that environment and I was fairly young and um that was formative, huge. Do you think that the ignorance of who these people were and what they were either at the time or going to become in the, mm -hmm. the zeitgeist of the entertainment industry, do you think that served you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know, some of it was we, we came up together. Some of it was coming up together with them. Mm -hmm. And some of it was just all of us, you know, being in the in the sandbox together. You know, there was no distinction between, you know, you're working on a on a Shel Silverstein play with Christine Baranski and Harris Eulin and Shell and you go, okay, we'll just try to make work together. It didn't never dawned on me that it was challenging, you know, beyond the work itself, because everybody was there for the same reason to just make great new work. Do you see that happening 
in today's world like it was then? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I think it is. I don't know what the New York theater environment is because I'm not a part of it. I miss it dreadfully, but I, I don't know what that is. I, I think it's very much what people are doing, and I see it happening in film, and I think that is the future of the film business, are the people like Greta Gerwig is being celebrated for who are saying, who are taking the industry back and saying sure. this is what we're, you know, or Jordan Peele, who are saying this is what we believe, what we want to make. And hey, we've got stories to tell too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I and, think that's great. and I think that's a real lesson. And I love that that was sort of one of the messages that came out of the Oscars because this you know, ceremony itself was fairly boring and predictable for the most part. It was not hard to win those uh, Oscar pools, but um, it was that that was one of the huge messages was you've got to just make your own work you've got to have tell your story you've got to find a way to have your voice and be willing to do the work it takes to get there and not stop and um i think that's an important really important message this day and age and do you think the world is it where it's easier to do that now to tell your story to... i think it's easier on film i mean if i grew up with you know the technology that and the access and the ability to self promote that people have now, um, I probably would have done more of that. I did it in the theater, mm. you know, because that's all I knew and that's where I was. I came to New York to make plays, um, and I did that. But uh, we couldn't, you know, make movies that way at the time. Sure, that wasn't that long ago. I'm not a hundred, but it's you know, it's sure. It, I mean, it, that technology is really only a decade old. Yeah, 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 and if, getting if more and more sophisticated. Yeah. So you can make a movie on an iPhone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's funny because I was talking to my daughter this morning who's going to be a senior in college. She's at Wesleyan University and she's a film uh, student major. And she's trying to figure out what to do this summer because she's going to do a film thesis next year. And her advisor told her this morning, the most important thing is your script and you need to spend your summer writing your script, whatever program you do, if you do a program. And he kept undermining the need for the technical aspect of it. And, and I feel strongly that she needs to have a technical foundation. So she understands mm -hmm. lenses and she understands, you know, crossing the line and she understands, how, you know, how to light a scene somewhat just so she understands how to put a shot list together and actually shoot a scene and get her coverage and know how to edit ahead of time, you know, before she gets in there. And, um, and she's making some smart decisions about she's going to shoot digitally, not on film. Um, but what's really interesting is that, for her, there are no boundaries and there are no limitations. For her, it's all about telling a great story and why wouldn't you and and the world is my oyster. And maybe that's because she's you know twenty years old, sure. um, and some. And but I think it's also because you have to be a warrior these days and take responsibility for the creation of your own work and the expression of your own voice and the telling your own story or stories that are important to you because there's no other way to navigate the industry. And I think this generation is learning that because that's their way of coming up against, oh, you can't get a job when you get out of college. Like, okay, fine. So I'm going to create my own stuff and figure out how to pay for it and figure out how to make a living, you know. And, and that's always been the way we've all been in this business to some extent. Um, we all wait at tables when we have to and, and do whatever we have to do to, to put that together. But it's now become... Uh, the norm, and it's become something that this I love that this generation is is not taking for granted, but taking control of. You know, I think that's different in that what way. What do you think are some of the factors in that? Is it because they have survival? 
Ah, because because there's so much more opportunity right now. There there seems to be a lot more people chomping at the bit. Yeah, and, and also and, and also there's 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 no there was a way that you'd like you'd, you'd graduate from college and you go to graduate school or you would go get a job in your field, but I don't think people that 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 generation of young filmmakers and young creators are thinking that's the 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 their trajectory. They think it's I need to create my field. I need to define mm. my career myself sure because that, that's the way they're coming up against all the statistics that are saying you can't get a job after college there are no jobs so that they're making their own and the, the opportunity is there to make your own yeah. so yeah. and and i mean with the advent of youtube and yeah. and even with all the changes that are happening with youtube and facebook yeah. you the distribution part is now in your hands yeah. which when you were growing up Distribution was there were there were six companies who did distribution right. and that's it. You right. had to go through them or nobody yeah. was going to see anything you yeah. did. Yeah, um, it is different. And there's like five million film festivals and you know and then one good one piece good piece of good work leads to another leads to another and then somebody pays you for it. Mm -hmm. You know you still have to pay the rent. You still have to figure out how to pay for your the the film. But um, but I like what you just said. Most people want to go straight to some people paid me for it. Yeah, I think it's very important that people know that you've got to make something and then show it to people and then make another thing and then show that to people and then make another thing That's and right. show that yeah, to people. Yeah. And keep doing it until, until somebody says, okay, here's some money for it. Mm -hmm. It's like what the Duplass brothers have been advocating for all along. Absolutely. And you know? Greta and yeah, at the yeah. beginning of that movement too, which was the, the mumblecore movement, yeah, I think is the, what they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That movement I absolutely loved because it was them just going out and making something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, a lot of people had problems with it because it wasn't technically this or tech, like the technical aspects were. Sure, yeah. But they were telling their stories. Yeah, and they can, all the technology you can figure out. And I say that to actors all the time. I mean, I coach actors all the time about their careers and people really struggle with, well, how do I get seen and how do I get an agent and how do I get casting directors to see me and how do I get in the room? And it's like, you've got to make some stuff. Even if you sit in your living room and write a monologue about uh, tell your story and shoot it, and it, and it can be compelling and wonderful, or you can make something intimate and not that technologically challenging. Um, and that's all people want. They want two minutes of great work so they can see you at your best. I mean, there's a whole other mentality about needing to be your sure. best and what does that mean? And you know, I don't think actors are lazy, but I think that as a tribe, there's a certain amount of entitlement or fantasy about, well, I think I'm good. If, why, why doesn't someone just give me a chance? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're really good, you're in the Olympics of act, of acting here in Los Angeles. So you have to rise up and be at the top of your field. And the way you do that is you train and you grow and you do theater and you create and you make some great work that people will see and acknowledge. And that's all they need. And you do it because you love it. And eventually, hopefully, Somebody sees that. And if you have to get your real estate license, if you have to bartend, as long as you are doing things that support that, that make you whole and happy and fulfilled and are you're in a, in a creative space, then um, 
you're doing what you were meant, meant to do. That's your purpose, and that's why you're doing this. You're not doing this to get a co-star credit on some network TV show yeah. that will be exciting to write home about and post on Facebook for five minutes. But, but that's if that's you, that's not the reason. Yeah. And if you're doing it to walk the red carpet, you know, take another look at it because all those people walking the red carpet just want to be home watching the Oscars or the Emmys with their popcorn. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's an important lesson that we need to learn these days more than ever and it's hard for a lot of actors to like I just want to act I don't I don't I don't want to write shit and I don't want to make stuff and I I don't you know I just look too much work and I don't want to produce my career but you have to in a way you know it you can't just sit around waiting for the phone to ring that's well, too because entitled. because uh, out of say there's a hundred people the top 10 20 are doing that yeah, or they're super lucky, or they're super gorgeous, or they happen to just sure. be the perfect blend of, you know, somebody who is in, you know, in the right place at the right time with all the right, you know, parts. Sure. You know, when I mean parts, I mean like just the, the, everything just fits, and and uh, they are, they have access for a moment. But then again, when you have that access, you have to be able to show up and do the work too. Mm-hmm. And be able to follow it up with something yeah. the next time, That's too, right. to yeah. keep a career. Because there's so many times you see somebody who shows up and does something beautifully in one thing, and then the next thing they're either not ready for, or it's just the, the, the opportunity sure. that they are met with isn't met with that preparedness. Yeah, and that must That's be terrifying necessary. for like Timmy Chalamet, who's, you know, what 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 will he do next that we'll all be watching for, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully he'll make some smart moves. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot. But that, I mean, that's a good good problem to have if you're that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would but there's love so to have many, that yeah, 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 <laughs> so many young actors and writers and filmmakers and directors and and uh, who are lost at sea because and once they find you know, their purpose and their community and their way of, of creating and expressing themselves outside of being given permission by somebody who goes, oh, yes, you may come in for this audition. Um, they start, they, things change. Mm-hmm. Things really change. There's an actor I know who, you know, has been really struggling with this for a long time. And as soon as she made her first short, her auditions changed. And then she started booking because she just said... Was it just confidence at that point? Yeah. Well, she said, fuck it. I'm just not going to be rejected because I'm to this or that. And so that I'm, fuck it know, moment. Yeah. That yeah. It, it really... And yeah. I have a, a, a teacher that I work with, um, uh, have been off and on for a couple of years now, uh, named Sharon Chatton down in... I love Sharon. She's amazing. She's part of the Ensemble Studio Theater in New York. And, this, she and that, that's where she and I met. And we were all part of that, that tribe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Just, I was just talking with her last night. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. There, there was always something that she talked about that clicked with me about a year into studying with her, and it was literally the fuck it moment. And the next time I came into that class, the, the work that I was doing was ten times better. Isn't the, that interesting? It was fascinating yeah, to me to see yeah, that. That's cool. And I don't, I don't know if there's any other way to get to that fuck it moment than by working with somebody who pushes you to that fuck it moment. Some people, some people maybe can just. Some people maybe just have that naturally in them. But I think you have to often either hit bottom or be pushed against the wall or just feel that frustration. And then you, if you care enough, if, you, if you're if you driven enough, if it's important enough, then you you hit the, res, you meet the resistance with fuck it and you get through that door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to have those feelings. 
uh, and have have yourself open up like that. And I, and I think that that stems from really good teaching, audition classes, and whatever it is that and you finally, can. And finally, I'm doing it, doing it in a way, though. I mean, Steve and I have been hearing, Steve Braun is my partner here at the studio, and we hear horror stories about people in class where mm-hmm. ego is challenging them from teachers who uh. are... Uh, abusive or uh, self-involved and it's not about the work it's about the teacher's ego or it's about you know service serving a technique or doing in being engaged in some kind of seemingly abusive relationship with somebody and it's horrible and I, I keep hearing the stories and there have been many of those recently you know, band-aids being ripped off of some of those people that were are being revealed to be to tell actors to do things that are insane and we do a lot of undoing here of that because like I did a career coaching with a guy today who started talking about branding and because I really need to know he literally used the word pigeonhole like where I'd be pigeonhole I said listen did you hear yourself but he was told to do that by mm-hmm. some some person who sold a branding class to him and and I had to spend the time a bunch of minutes um, really undoing that and talking about bringing your, and so I said, so let's, let's re, let's not say don't brand, but let's redefine what branding is. Because if it's about bringing your full authentic self forward so that people get to see you and know you fully, it, that's different than, oh, than are a you manufactured gonna, brand? Yeah. Are you going to be pigeonhole yourself into this box where you are the, you know, the nice dad or the psychotic pedophile or like, what, what are you talking about? And, and he really thought that he was supposed to identify himself in one way so that people would know how to cast him. I said, people are going to brand you and mm-hmm. box you anyway. That's not for you to do. Your job is to be fully seen. I said, if I took a photo, because he showed me his photos, I said, if I took a photograph of you right now sitting there, I said, you, you would be seen. It, it's not going to be a sophisticated professional you know, photographer's p- f- picture, but it's going to be you. And instead, the, you know, the, and these other pictures were generic and, and airbrushed, and, and I did, he was lost in those. Mm. But there was the commercial happy guy, and then there was the edgy guy, and then there was the dad guy. And someone, Trying to you fit know, these square pegs and that, in the round holes. Yeah. And... Or just, just, get, just be a square peg, you know, and be a bunch of square pegs. So I, I just, it, it hurts my heart to hear stories of people who are misguided, and so much of that happens here because actors are so understandably needful of direction, and they Absolutely. want so badly to please and to be... Um, to be loved, to be seen, to be cast. Well, it's such a vulnerable so, place that you have it to is. go anyway. And you and you yeah, and you need to. Yeah. And then you get, you know, you get taken advantage of. So yeah. it's a Well, and that's that's tough. a big hope with this show is that having conversations with people like you and yeah. people who see all of these things can give insight into what it is that you're actually looking for, yeah. but also to cut out the bullshit because there's so much bullshit. Yeah. I've been here for 10 years yeah. and I've seen a lot of bullshit. Yeah. I've I've gone down the rabbit hole of a manager saying, you need to know exactly the types that you're going in for. And, and having that knowledge, okay, sure, but he never once said, you need to be you. I've I've always there's there's always hmm. people saying that you need to change who you are you need to drift this way or that way. Would you say that to you know 
Gary Oldman, would you say it to Viola Davis? Would you say that to Allison Janney <laughs> sure. or Sam Rockwell? You have to go down. Yeah, so, sure. You could, I suppose you could type some of some of that. You could say, oh, you know, Sam is the weirdo guy or the the you know the dangerous, and that's what he won an Academy Award for for being a dangerous, you know, edgy, uh, weird guy. Mm-hmm. And he certainly branded that, but he's branded it as Sam Rockwell. He's not. He's not branded. He's he's not not fitting into anybody else's box. He's created his own. And that's who he is. From the interviews that I've seen of him, he is. He is a weird guy, and he's a little bit like he he makes choices based off whatever he's feeling. Yeah. And that's. uh, Yeah. Yeah. um, So I wanted to read something off of your website. Okay. Uh, And it's it's along the lines of. The fact that you're a director first, but you do a lot of Uh things. So it says, I wear a lot of hats. I always have. Director, casting director, producer, writer of many sorts, teacher, and coach. I love being all of these things. I believe that this juggle of hat wearing, these assorted vocations complement each other, enrich each other, complete each other. The work remains fresh and passionate and always interesting. So first, from that, I knew we we would get along. Well, in this conversation, because okay. I'm you a jack of all, I wear a lot of hats. Okay, I good. love wearing a lot of yeah. hats. Uh, I get bored with just one hat. Okay. I, I need to switch it up, change yeah. the color, change the. Uh, what are what are some of the advantages for you of wearing so many hats? And as a follow up to that, are there have you ever found yourself at a disadvantage because you were trying to do too many different things mm. at once? Yes, I'll start with the. The second part. The second first. one's a m- much more interesting question. Well, it's also um, more complicated, but it's it's sometimes again talking about branding or typing. People want to know who you are. So I have I had a hard time as a director when I was also casting and directing. When I'm when I am casting and directing, for people to say, wait a minute, like we don't know if we want to hire you as a casting director because you're a director and we don't want to have that. We want you to do your job and serve. People want well, you in your lane. They want you in your lane, and they're worried a little bit about ego. Like I'm going to interfere mm-hmm. with with and and I ex- always have to explain. And I sometimes lead with that. Like I remember when I came off of directing a movie a, f- a few years ago in Canada. I'm Canadian, I went back and did a film, and I came back, and I really wanted to cast a pilot for some people I knew, and I had to go meet with them, and I knew them, and I said, look, I'm going to just address the elephant in the room. You're wondering, after directing a film, why would I come back and, like, and, and you know, and, and, and want to cast your TV show? And I said, I just, and this is why, and I explained to them why I just wanted to serve someone else's vision. I had been, you know, up day and night at the helm of my ship for a year and it was a really tough ride through a lot of storm and I just wanted to be on someone else's ship and do my job really well and serve someone else's vision for a little while and they heard I said I'm just I'm just going to address this because I know it's you're wondering and they were so relieved that I said that and we had a great creative talk and I did the show and it we did the first season and then we were canceled but for that that was because that was a d- decision that i made but but and and i explained it but sometimes people have a hard time figuring out exactly what lane am i in um for me the fun of it has always been you know going back and forth so like for my years in new york I would, and I'm doing that now, interestingly enough, here, almost the exact same life, which can sometimes be exhausting, where I would be casting during the day, and then at night I'd go to the theater, and I would rehearse, and um, and then I would come back, and then we would perform, and I would, you know, it's, but I, it means you're working 8 a.m. till midnight, seven days a week, mm-hmm. which is really challenging. Certainly, it remains challenging at this stage in my life. 
but so that that's part of the compromise of what you have to do. But for, but it well, keeps how do you, it. How do you maintain yourself? Then, um, I, just some consciousness and self care, and sometimes you don't. Like I'm exhausted right now because mm -hmm. I was in class last night until. Ten, from my class was 6.30 to 9.30, but we went till 10.30, and then I got home, I was all revved up, but didn't get, get to bed till midnight, I had to get up early. Today I, I'm here running the studio all day, I'm still casting on SEAL Team, it's a lot, you know, and I can't give only a part of myself to it. So the last seven months doing SEAL Team and um, the affair and running the studio and teaching and parenting has been exhausting, and and yet it keeps me, you know, juiced and I yeah. love the idea of being able to go from one to the other because if I'm not doing something that is creatively stimulating and satisfying and energizing for myself and my work then I'm not happy and casting totally doesn't do that. that for me I'm good at it I like it I like the producerial aspect of it As you were saying earlier it's your bartending job it is my bartending job and I don't I mean I've said that I remember I said that in a New York Times interview several years ago and several casting directors came after me and like <laughs> were really pissed off that I said that because it undermined what the work is and I don't mean it that way um, I'm good at it and I like various aspects of it but it's not the thing that is soul satisfying for me sure you know absolutely. and teaching has become that for me here in the way I teach because I teach as a director and in some of my classes we make work together we shoot stuff um, and and that's and I to be able to to, to hold space for young and not so young actors to find their voice as writers and filmmakers is the thing that makes me the happiest right now. Sure. And so um, that also then feeds the casting because then I am a happy, creative, alive, you know, individual. And then I'm able to bring that back to the casting world and with, with a certain amount of energy and vigor and freshness. And I don't get bogged down the way I know some casting people do, just beaten down by the process, because the process is what it is for, for there. And then I can always go back into the deep creative well of the other work. Mm -hmm. And one feeds the other. We have a bunch of <clears throat> teachers here at the studio who are also casting directors, and they also all say that for them, the teaching teaches them how to cast better. Okay. Because they're here figuring it out with actors, so they learn a new language and a new dialogue and a new way uh, to get through to actors, and then they get really excited by actors growing and evolving, and then they can walk into the casting room the next day and be different beings, because then it's not just a grind. Then it sure. becomes more, they, they can bring what they learn back into the casting room. The casting room becomes more of a place of discovering, discovery and collaboration than it might be otherwise. Um, so there's you know, and then the casting for me feeds the directing and the and producing and and teaching and all of it starts to um, sometimes it blurs. You know, sometimes I'm like the hats are spinning <laughs> and I don't know which one it is, but but often it's just using different parts of yourself. You know, and one feeds the other. And I think actors need to be doing more of that. They need to be hyphenates Absolutely. as they're as one calls it. You know. Um, because if you're, you're, you've got to be able to have many things going. And I've also watched so many actors here, uh, watching them learn how to write and create stuff. I've watched actors find their voice as writers, which has been mind-blowing to see some. They didn't know that. And some of them are better writers than they are actors. Huh. And I say, you know, absolutely. But it's about that exploration of yeah. this art form as a whole rather than just your yeah. sliver of yeah. it. yeah. Well, I want to I want to touch on 
the self-care that you talked about, mm-hmm. what sort of things do you do or do you recommend people do to engage in that self-care when overwhelmed by everything yeah. that's going on? Um, Steve, who is my partner here at the studio, has taught me a lot about that in terms of actual um, actionable steps that you can take. And we have created a thing called the 10-Day Actors Challenge, which is uh, about the five elements of self-care. Okay. We're actually deep in the um, advocacy right now of those five elements again. So we've done three challenges. They're f- they were free, and uh, they were, we took people through them. So the five elements, because this will address what I believe is important. And every time I talk about it, every time we go back into it, I realize, oh, yeah, that's right. I have to do that myself. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> the first one is meditation. And it's a really powerful tool, and all actors need to know how to meditate. When you're in the waiting room, when you're when that audition comes in and you have all that anxiety, when you're backstage ready to go on stage, when you're walking on set, you need to be in a place where you can, um, you know, find your center and let your breath guide you and tune out any forces that are going to distract you and keep you from connecting to who you are, where you are, what you need in the story. So that's a huge thing, and it addresses a lot of anxiety that comes up for actors in auditioning and in their careers. Um, Also, it's a place of contemplation where you get to, amazing stuff can come up, and if you're willing to sit in meditation for longer than five minutes and fight the resistance of the voices and the anxiety and all of the the distractions, you're going to come up with some great shit things are going to emerge. So I, do, I do a lot of that discovery in the shower. It's a place where I do it. Some people do it in their cars. But in meditation, I've never meditated for more than 15 minutes and not had moments of aha or discovery of some kind or creating something out of that. So I think it's a massively powerful tool. Mm-hmm. The other uh, second element of the challenge is writing. And it's mostly journaling that we talk about, and hopefully oh. right after you meditate. So it's I'll send you the challenge. Please, so you I would can, love. Yeah, you can have a, a, a and our challenge is a guided meditation with me okay. um, each day. And we we start at five minutes, the med- guided meditation, then the actual meditation is five minutes, and then we grow it up to fifteen minutes over the, the course of the ten days. And Steve does an intro, and then. Um, the, the writing portion is, is a journaling. It's like very much like the artist's way morning pages where you just dump onto the page handwritten um, everything. And it's often great to do it right after you meditate. So you're all that stuff that you've, that's been percolating. And, yeah, and I, I do it in the beginning of class often, you know, oh. especially when actors are coming in and they're, the world is still with them. And, and frazzled and yeah, traffic got a, yeah. killed them and yeah. A lot going on. So we did that. I did that last night in class and it just took an extra 20 minutes, but I felt like we all needed it. And so I took them through a guided meditation on purpose. And then they wrote and I had them write for seven minutes straight and just on yellow pads and a lot of stuff came out. And then that was a great preparation for the work that we did. It put Absolutely. them in a very centered and emotionally connected place. Um, so we, 
advocate for that, for journaling, just and doing, you know, doing it all the time, wherever you can. So, you know, if you're sitting on an airplane and they're defrosting the plane and you're sitting on the runway and it's hot for 45 minutes, instead of sitting there on your phone trying to, you know, find people on Instagram, why not just take out a journal and just dump and just process and, you know, and see what comes up because you're going to come up against all kinds of wonderful resistance and out of that, things will grow and and be discovered. Um, and then writing also to take it to the next place of creating something, writing sure. something. Yeah. And every writer knows that most of what you write is shit. So just write. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> so and you might, as well might as well just write. Get through that shit. <laughs> the third element is connected movement. Okay. So it's not, it's not lifting weights or, you know, jogging fast. It's about doing some kind of movement that connects mind, heart, body, spirit. So it's... Tai Chi or Qigong or walking uh, or sweeping or dancing alone in your room or yoga, you know, or some kind of meditative movement um, to just connect yourself to yourself. Uh, very important. So to connecting do. the physical with the emotional and with the spiritual. The spiritual. Yeah, yeah, mind, body, heart. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and to find a way to do that. If you don't have, like when we do it for the 10 days, if you don't have something organized, then just walk. What of those do you do? I do yoga. I do some uh, qigong with Steve because he teaches it. Um, sometimes I'll just close the door to my bedroom and put on music and dance. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes just walk. Okay. Uh, very, really important. And it's not about ab. You know, your abs. It's not lifting in. Yeah, yeah, it's about your being. And the fourth is acting or creating. So to make sure every day you do some kind of acting, and it can be anything from, you know, reading a monologue or or reading somebody's blog to writing something to going to a class to getting together with a friend and just reading something out loud to reading a screenplay, you know, could be anything. Um, Doing a self tape, whatever you can do to act that day. So you can say today I acted. And We've expanded that to be creating. So anything you can do to to be creative in any way at all. So whether that's writing a script or working on a, a draft of a script or writing a blog a or painting a picture, taking a photograph, or you know, tending to your garden or cooking something, as long as you can identify and say, "I am creating something," because again, your creative spirit is then being stirred up and 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 stimulated, and that affects everything that you do. Sure. Because so, you don't want it to settle to the ground. You want it to keep in the air. Yeah. You, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And it, uh, if you're not doing that, then you're, then you're in a grind of life, and it, it can be very, very debilitating and depressing. Mm-hmm. And the final of the five is a huge one for us, which is giving. So you need to do an act of giving every day. And it can be – I remember when we did the first challenge, and I went al- did it along with – with everybody else we had about 2,000 people doing the first one and and I thought it would be weird to listen to my voice but it, it was actually okay and and then the giving thing was it just it just it brings you to consciousness so I'm in the parking lot at Trader Joe's and some woman is struggling across the way to get her bags in her car so I just stopped and went and helped her put her bags in her car and she was so appreciative and I felt great and I thought oh it's just I'm here I am being conscious about coming out of my own little bubble, which we are so in our Uh, bubbles in these days. In in L.A., we feel it in our cars and on our computers and everywhere in the world. It's some version of that. And having a human connection because I just had the consciousness, awareness to give something in that moment. Um, So it could be anything. Yeah. And that, to me, 
also translates into the work that you do. So what about walking into an audition room in the spirit of generosity to be able to offer something of yourself, to be able to say to those people in the room, I got this. This is where this lives in me. This is me having uh, my own version of this. So I'm going to offer that to you and as a fellow collaborator, see if that resonates for you. If it does, great, fine. If it doesn't, I can adjust. If not, I'm out of here and good luck. And really do this from a place not of need and desperation and wanting people to take care of you, but from from a place of giving and, 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 and generosity and dealing with the industry from that place. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And so that those are things that we advocate for and have actually organized yeah. and that I have to keep reminding myself to do every day. I looked at my shelf of journals because someone in class last night said, oh my God, you know, I've got a shelf of journals that are uncracked and I need to, why am I doing that? I said, I have that same shelf, you know? <laughs> I, and I went home and I took a journal out and, you know, and, and started writing again. So. It's really important. People do gratitude journals before bed, whatever it is that's useful. It's such an incredibly powerful tool for everyone, it but is. for all of us as, as as artists and opening our hearts and our guts and you know being vulnerable and and needful in a in a in industry that's fairly indifferent and in a world right now that's incredibly violent and yeah. scary, we have to take care of ourselves. And those are ways that I believe you can do that. It's little steps every day can make a huge difference. That's great. You know, and when I'm on the bike in the morning, I have to stop watching Rachel Maddow because it's not, it's not gets that. the blood pressure real, up a little. Yeah, I'm like, why am I? This is not what I call connected movement here. Because I don't go fast on the bike, but I, I'm on the bike for 20 minutes. And I thought, you know, there's I've got to be watching something else, mm -hmm. not this, because it's very upsetting. I recommend um, Bob Ross. Yeah? Oh, yeah. That's a great way to connect. He's right. on Netflix right now. And uh, that's been one of the things that I've been watching. That's really? Just, I, absolutely, yeah. Cool. One, because his voice is meditative okay. in general. Yeah, yeah. And he's just a Bob wonderful Ross. human being. Got it. But no, I, I thank you for all of this. And I know things. that I said, I mean, that's a big, a lot to say, but no, I think it's no, really important to get really specific because yeah. our lives go by so quickly and our days are gone and we've got, we have good intentions, but before you know it, it also creates a certain discipline, I think, as... Discipline's uh, huge. Very big. Yeah, we've got to find a way to structure ourselves enough to have the discipline to get yeah. shit done. Because when you're an artist, yeah. you know, smoking weed and hanging out with your friends, talking about movies, games. is yeah, yeah. is real easy to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to go into a couple of the projects that you've worked on. Uh, I honestly, we could probably talk for hours and hours, but I I, I, okay. I, I don't want to kill you uh, today. Um, First, it's not first on my list, but I want to talk about it first because I watched it last night and it is literally one of my favorite movies, mm. Benny and June. Huh. It is. Interesting. It's, it's. I call it the bathroom movie. The bathroom movie. Why I is that? Because I did it because I wanted to renovate my bathroom and I, it paid for the bathroom <laughs> renovation. I was talking to my husband about it because I said, you know, we have to renovate the ba our bathroom years later. And he said, yeah, how are we going to pay for it? I said, well, Benny and June paid for the first bathroom renovation. <laughs> I'm not being cynical, but I remember, that's why I call it the bathroom movie. I love that movie, and, and I love the cast. It's The cast yeah. is wonderful yeah. together. Um, you've got Johnny Depp, Mary Stewart Masterson, William H. Macy, Aidan Quinn, who you've worked with mm -hmm. a bunch, yeah. uh, Julianne Moore in, yeah. in just this wonderful little part for her, yeah. Oliver Platt. Uh, I, I guess I have to ask the obvious question first. 
of how you got involved with the project and who was attached before you were involved? I think Johnny Depp was attached. I think that was it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that's him. He's he's coming off of the back end of uh, 21 Jump Street at that time and had done Edward Scissorhands like yeah, right before. Yeah. So he was an emerging star. Sure. Yeah. Um, and Mary, I think Mary Stewart, or no, Aiden came in at the last minute to replace somebody. So there was, it was, a, that was, a, there was somebody who fell out, but it was, um, everybody else just, you know, it was, it was, it was a fairly quick process. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Chechek was the director and yeah. he loves actors and I knew the producers and it was, it just felt like the kind of movie Billy and I did, you know, and Heidi Levitt did it with me here in LA as well. That just was quirky, you know, and felt like right up our it alley. It is, it is yeah, so. quintessential 90s quirky yeah, for me. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess... For for me, I'm curious about uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. Yeah, well, nobody read for that part. Nobody read for I don't, that. Well, no, that's not true. We we offered it to her. Um, oh, okay. She didn't read for it, but um, I mean, Billy and I've known Mary Mary Stuart Masterson for a really long time. Um, we had cast her in, I think, maybe her first movie. Um, Oh uh, God, Sean Penn and David Strathairn and Chris Walken. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, uh, at close range. At close range. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to sort of see it in my head. Okay, um, so Billy and I, Hopkins and I, who was my casting partner, had cast her in At Close Range, and it was one of those wonderful moments where she literally walked in the room and like lit the place up, and we sent her to L.A. and where Jamie and Sean were at the time, and. And she walked into Jamie's house in the Hollywood Hills, and the same thing happened. And so we knew her fairly well. I think Billy directed her to play, and so we knew her depth and okay. and her emotional life and her sensitivity and her beauty and all of the things that were right for that. So that was a pretty easy feel. Sure. And she had some kind of name at that point, yeah. which we needed. The movie needed a little more of that to sell it. So. Uh, we just, you know, hoped and that she would understand the complexity of that character, Absolutely. which she did. But we knew that she had that in her. When you get to that level, as a casting director, you're looking at these people. How do you know that they're going to be able to execute? You don't. You just hope. I mean, when they're at that level, you just hope, you know. And the role is defined by who they are. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sure. You know, you don't always know. Um so, you, you know, often it, when people are cast in things where it is an offer, you take a risk and and it works or it doesn't. Um, so another film, I, there's so many that I want to talk to you about. Uh, Sneakers. Uh-huh. I rewatched again yesterday. Uh, yeah. God, that movie's good. It is it's a good so movie. It's so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, Great group of people. Yeah. And, and such an eclectic cast. Yeah. Um, and really smart. The whole thing was so smart. Extremely. I mean. Phil Robinson is one of the smartest people in the world. He's wrote and directed it. Mm-hmm. And Walter Parks was yep. the producer, one of the producers. And um, everybody involved in that was so freaking smart. And you can tell. Yeah. Because it's it, the de- from the dialogue to the execution of the yeah. movie to the twists and turns throughout the movie. I mean, for, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, uh, pause. Go watch it. <laughs> Come back. Yeah. Uh, it stars Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, uh, Mary McDonnell, River Phoenix, David Strathairn, Sir Ben Kingsley, James Earl Jones, Dan Aykroyd, Timothy Busfield, and Donna Logue, and there are more. Yeah. Um, 
you were, it seems it, in this time, you were kind of in a, a, a boom in your mm-hmm. casting. Mm-hmm. When you're putting together an ensemble piece like this, what are some of the different things that you're having to balance as different people join a cast like this? Well, it's finding a group of people who feel like they're of the same world and yet unique and idiosyncratic enough to hold their own. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, go to talk about branding. These are people who are not brandable. They create their own no. brand by just being who they are. So being as specific and individualistic as each one is, and yet believing that they are all, of course, Ben Kingsley was uh, the antagonist, but uh, believing that they all are part of the same universe and that they would complement each other. And again, you just don't know, but you're working collectively, collaboratively, which is ideal and often not the case anymore because things are done in different ways now. I think filmmaking has, to some extent, has has, has become uh, a little more uh, about um, marketing, to, you know. Sure, although, absolutely. although the integrity of smaller movies is still what it is, which is why movies like Three Billboards and 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 Lady Bird and other movies like that are so great because they do have the integrity of that kind of work. But in that spirit, and that was a studio film, um, you're collaborating with people who are so smart and 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 uh, talented, and this all of your sensibilities are merging, and it just all works. Yeah. You know. But it felt like that from the beginning. You know? Who was attached when you came on? Bradford. Okay. That was it. That was it. Yeah. And then from that, you start building out yeah. all of these different roles. Yeah. And some people read for it, but mostly they were offers, you know, and people liked the script and liked the genre and liked the fact that it was Redford and liked, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty elite group of filmmakers. Yeah. So it was not, not that it wasn't hard, it was hard, but hard in a different way, hard in a great way. I, I really loved those days of those kinds of collaborations. And also because we did not have the internet, you couldn't show people, the, you know, it's like if 40 people weren't weighing in on auditions or on ideas, people, because nobody had access. You couldn't watch people's reels. You couldn't check people yeah. out. You just have to go, oh, yeah, I saw them in a movie once. And when you'd put people on audition, you know, when you tape people for auditions, you'd have these clunky VHS tapes and you'd have to make copies of them and then you'd put them in FedEx envelopes and send them to another city or wherever. And people didn't really get to, you know, watch auditions in two seconds the way they can now. And suddenly somebody's assistant is weighing in on some audition that somebody does. And there are 400 people who have something to say about it. So there's not that kind of, which is more the case in television than film. But a marketing department is not weighing in on that other than this person would look great on the poster. So it was a, there was a little more integrity to the process then okay. because we did not have, people did not have access to the work. You could pick up the phone and, and when we were working in New York and call the studio in LA and say, this is what we want to do. And they'd go, okay. And they'd you know, try to find a photograph somewhere in their files of that actor if they didn't know who that was. But it was a gentler and uh, in a way more virginal time in the process. Sure. Yeah. Um, or at least that's how I'm remembering it. Maybe I'm just blocking out <laughs> all, all the, the terror. all the all the crap. But there, you know, there was yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears for a second and talk about your directing. Uh, another movie I watched yesterday. Wow, was, you're a busy boy. I was. Yeah. I, uh, that's my favorite part about this show. I love movies. That's why I got in the industry in the oh, first cool. place. Yeah. I watched The Con Artist. Oh yesterday. my God! Why? Why? Yeah. Okay. Multiple reasons. One, because I love Ross of Sutherland. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think good. he is extremely talented. Yeah, I do too. Um, I would like to see him work more. We actually, uh, on another show that we produced, we interviewed him a little oh, yeah? while back. 
Oh, good. Uh, and he was just lovely. I love him, yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it, uh, it is the story of Vince, a parolee after five years in prison for a heist. When he gets out, he's forced back into a life of crime while finding solace in creating sculptures in his boss's chop shop. An art dealer finds his work, and a new possibility opens up for him in life. That sounds good. Yeah? Yeah, I want to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever wherever that is. So it sounds like there's some stories behind the scenes on this yeah, one. Yeah. I'm curious about a couple things on it. What was it like working with father and son? Complicated. I guess we'll leave it at that. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the problem with that movie was we never had a script. And there was one point when Donald wrote a, a, a Sutherland wrote a version of the script and said and called me and said, I, I've written my own version of this. I want to drive it to your house and read it to you. And it was like, we probably should have made that version. It was so out there. And okay. we were all, I mean, we were, there was one night where it was like, we were up in, Ontario in in a town outside of Toronto and it was the middle of the night because we shot nights a lot uh, sometimes on for good reasons sometimes sometimes not and Rebecca Remain and Rossif and I were literally at 3 a.m. in the pounding rain improvising a scene because I mean, the great fun of it was like I would write shit and we would shoot it. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. But it, we never really had a great script. And we were working with the Canadian, maybe I'm talking out of school, but I don't really care. Um, in Canada, a lot of the financing comes from the government, yeah. right, from yeah. Telefilm Canada. And we had $5 million from Telefilm Canada to make this film. And I remember saying, why don't we just wait until we have a better version of the script? But they had allotted this money for us at that particular time in the year. And okay. you're working with the government. And if you say no and you don't take the money, they'll that give money it to someone away. else. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll, you'll have to reapply and start all over and you may not get a slot come the next round so it was take so the mistake i made which was not trusting my instinct was not going to writers i knew to rewrite it who would have maybe done it as ghost writers they would have gotten paid something but they wouldn't have gotten a credit and i just didn't think people would do that and so i didn't you know we got we had five writers on that script and it just mm. got worse and worse and more diluted and more confusing and more convoluted and then we went over budget and so they took pull days out so we weren't shooting things and so when I watched the first assembly I was like this make movie makes no sense whatsoever and then I got fired off of it and then I got rehired onto it and then it was like the whole I mean after I mean, in post I got fired in post just because it was a total mess and the the, 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 and the and the editor became a friend, but he kept me in the loop. And then I came back on, and I finished it. Um, and and it was not a pretty experience. It was one of those experiences that just sours you to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I loved the cast, and I loved a lot of what we did. But we you you cannot make a movie if you do not have a script. And we did Absolutely. not ever have a script. Well, that's a that's yeah, a, a and that's great. that was the craziness of it. Yeah, and we were writing all the time, and Donald and Rossif and my husband and I wrote together a bunch. And my husband's not a bona fide professional writer, but he's talented. Mm -hmm. But I mean, anybody who wanted to write anything, I was like open to whatever could could happen. So that's one of those situations you just don't want to be in. If you if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. Sure. And that was the case. Yeah. Um, and Donald and, you know, Ross, if we're, it was, I mean, I learned a lot from Donald, you know, he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant artist. Absolutely. But also very demanding and challenging. And um, he and Ross, he's aware that he is Donald. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but again, you're working with like nothing 
that grounding you. There's nothing supporting you. There's no story there, really. Mm-hmm. So, well, what what's interesting to me about your reaction to it and 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 this part of the conversation about that movie in particular is one of the themes that I landed on was the struggle of being an artist. Right. And okay, good. <laughs> there is a theme in there. I swear. You say so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm, my my question originally was how personal that aspect of fighting to be an artist yeah. while being pulled in a different direction. Uh-huh. And Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because that's probably the, I mean, in my recollection, when I pull back the, you know, the, the scars, um, <laughs> the that was the core of what we were trying to do. You know, the issue was, you know, the storytelling of that sure. that got messy. There was a whole other storyline with his mother, which was, you know, played, but she was played by Mary Walsh. She's this wonderful Newfoundland actress in Canada. And it was a whole other storyline, and she and her lesbian girlfriend, and they knew Donald's character, the uncle from another life, and they were trying to protect Rossif's character, Vince, from the uncle, and we cut out their entire storyline. Yeah. We'd shot, like, 10 scenes with them. And even we went back and reshot a scene with them because the film was damaged, and all of that went away, um, The whole that whole world of... And, and that was really fun. And Donald's version, that was huge. The mother was a huge part of it. And she rode a motorcycle. I don't know. It was like crazy. But but we we shot some scenes with the mother and her friends and her lover and Rossif. And then um, it, we just pulled it out because it yeah. just didn't serve. I, I don't know. The movie's now like, you know, 12 minutes long. But. <laughs> well, um, I think we're getting close to an hour now. Okay. Um, I did want to hit one more question, mm-hmm. uh, because we didn't really, we haven't really <laughs> delved too much into your casting. Um, you've worked with some of the, some, some of the best filmmakers out there. You worked with Oliver Stone mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you worked with Catherine Bigelow, uh, John Hughes, Tony Scott. Are there any tying factors that you see of that caliber of director, anything that they all share, personality traits or vision that you think contributes to their success and ability to tell a story that really captures people? Yeah, I mean, I think they're all, there's a couple things that, that are, are at play here. Ego is one of them and not necessarily, I mean, sometimes bad ego, sometimes good ego. What I mean by that is just a, a real drive to articulate their very specific strong point of view. Okay. And I think that's huge for people because point of view as actors, as writers, as filmmakers is so, so important to really know how you feel about things, what you believe in in, in and what story that is, is personal to you. And certainly Oliver's stories were all hugely personal to him um, and always, you know, sort of father-son struggles every step of the way. And I think with all of those guys and Catherine Bigelow to some extent, and I didn't work with a lot of women uh, there weren't a lot of women to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there was a, a, a like, in some ways that the, the testosterone, you know, was charged, and then and the sort of this like go to war mentality and tell a story with incredible conviction and purpose mm-hmm. was always part of the work that they did, and I think that that is something, and you see it in 
the films now and people who are winning, like when, even in a more gentler way, when Guillermo del Toro talks about filmmaking and about what it takes to really make something. You've got to come from a place where there's deep, deep belief and a really strong need to tell a story. And an, and then it becomes a personal, the ego part is a, this personal drive to succeed in that. You need to have some of that in order to survive, in order to rise above the, the the norm, the mediocrity, you know, you've got to find your way to, you know, burst through the level of uh, normalcy and mediocrity that exists in this industry. And the way to do that is to have this incredible drive and need to tell a story with an incredibly strong point of view. And sometimes it works and sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, Angelina Jolie's made a bunch of movies that probably are not, you know, successful for whatever good reasons they're not successful for. I don't know what or why, but, you know, at least she's, you know, she'll get behind them with incredible conviction. And I Absolutely. think that's what all of the, those filmmakers share. And they do it with in, in all different ways. And one of my favorite directors I've worked with is Adrian Lyon, and he is... Uh, he always came, I mean, he was an artist more than anything, but he, you know, watching his sense of purpose and his clarity and his incredible drive uh, was all, was one of the things that was the most affecting to me. So, so that, and I was lucky enough in my early years, so I didn't, nobody told me that like casting directors didn't go to the set. So on Desperately Seeking Susan, I went to the set almost every day until someone said, you know, you don't have to be here. And I went, oh, okay. But can I? <laughs> but can I? And so I, you know, but then I would, and Oliver and, 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 uh, um, and Adrian were very generous in letting me be on set and, you know, watch them work and being there with Adrian when Michael Douglas and Glenn Close were working and watch how he worked with them. Mm -hmm. And that was a very unique way because he got, got in there with them and he was incredibly engaged with them and it, it was it was like metaphysical and so that was amazing to watch and be a part of and I, and I learned from that or being with you know working with Oliver and having Bob Richardson who was a cinematographer for years teach me and and I, he would talk to me and go why are you doing that and how's that working and what's the lens you're using and um, that to me that was really fun and exciting because I had ambition to be a filmmaker and so um, and your curiosity served yeah, you extremely well. But I also didn't know I wasn't supp supposed to be there. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not supposed to come here, you know. And then be because of my involvement in that stuff with Oliver, I produced a couple of films because I was, you know, I was such a big part of, of the filmmaking for yeah. a couple of films. So um, I really relish and cherish those times, and I encourage... I It's what we started talking about. I encourage all young artists or emerging artists even if they're not young in age to just soak it up where you can you know get in there I have a, a friend who's observing on every set she can she's a young filmmaker and I love that she's doing that because she's learning by doing but also by by just soaking up what great oh, absolutely people are making or, and not so great people are making yeah. you know so it's it was a huge part of the formation of my sensibility and my work ethic and my ambition and my sense of purpose um is was it being able to be a part of those films and be a part of the creative process not just you know being back in the casting office sure so 
I think we've got to wrap up. Is there anything that you'd like to promote to tell people about where to find information on you, where to follow you on social media? Sure, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook at Risa, R-I-S-A-B-G dot com, or Risa B-G is my handle. But mostly what where my love and my uh, heart and my work is right now is here at the studio. You're in it right now. This is actually the casting room that ah. we're in. It's also a classroom. Um, and it's the BGB studio. And uh, where we teach revolutionary acting training, at least we think so, and where we're here to serve actors and hold space for them to do their best work. And that can be found at uh, com or just Google the BGB studio and our website will come up. And what I love also is that we have on the site a blog that has audios, podcasts, and blogs for actors that is just there's great stuff there to great. inspire and guide and there's some good intel and so we keep writing that stuff for actors just to be able to support and encourage and grow actors sure um in whatever they need that's great yeah any parting advice to actually i'm going to sneak in one more question any parting advice to women in the industry right now oh yeah um take advantage of this moment and rise to it. And it's an incredible time for women. And it had been like this for me, even 10 years ago, life might be different. And I'm not have no regrets. I'm so happy where I am. But I know that um, people are desperate to find women directors and filmmakers and women's voices. So if you are a woman, you know, dig deep and find your voice and 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 there is a welcoming carpet being thrown out to you. Um, and so make work, uh, articulate your voice, tell your story, and don't stop until it's heard. That's a great way to end this. Uh, thank you very much for having us in your thank studio you today. Thank you for being here. And uh, everybody, check out all the links. They're going to be in the description. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Risa. Do not forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share so we can keep making this show. Without you guys, there's no reason for us to be making it. Uh, So please, share it around. Tune in next week when we sit down with John Papsidera, who you probably do know as the casting director of a slew of movies that you love. Dunkirk, Jurassic World, Interstellar, Transcendence, and Oh, the Dark Knight trilogy, maybe those? That's just a few. It's a really, really fun conversation, and John was great to chat with. And so the same thing with the Joker. I think a lot of actors were intimidated about, well, I don't want to do some version of what Nicholson had done, because that's so iconic. Um, And Heath came in, had a meeting with Chris, never read, had a meeting with Chris, and he was fearless, you know? He didn't have those same fears about it. He was a guy that was like, put his hand up and said, oh, I can do this. Placing Faces is powered by Collaborator.com, a media production service connecting media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs. Video professionals find work and companies save money. We'd also like to thank our partners at the Casting Society of America for helping to introduce us to so many of our guests. They also serve as a hub of information about this branch of the film industry. 
to learn more about the Society and what it takes to get into casting, you can visit their site at castingsociety.com. If you're a casting director and want to be a part of this program, please email us at contact at placingfaces.com. Thank you so much for listening. It is our intention to keep sharing the stories of these casting directors every single week for the foreseeable future. So don't forget to tune in.